Thank you very much. We've been singing that song for a long time, and I think that is among the very favorites here. John chapter 4 in your Bible this morning for a few moments, please. John chapter 4. I think that you have from our staff received a pretty uh, comprehensive view of what we're trying to do here as a church and what we are doing on a daily basis. John chapter 4. I'll not have you stand as we read the passage because I'm going to use it a little bit later in the message, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for these 48 years. Thank you for every person who has contributed. Thank you for our staff. Thank you for our charter members who came early and who stayed. Thank you for the people who through the years have been faithful, those who have given those who have served and supported the work with their heart and their life. Thank you, Lord, for every effort that has been made with the right motive for your work. And today, Lord, we just give you the glory, the honor, because we know we are not the ones who did it. We know, Lord, that it is only by thy divine power the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel that changes and transforms people's lives. Lord, today we are grateful for these 48 years. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 48 years ago today, we stood at mile marker number one on the interstate the journey that we were going to begin as a church. You see the building there, the old theater building, the, an abandoned theater building from World War II days that was at the Florence Airport. Uh, that day, we had 18 people show up in attendance. And I always say then the next week, we had eight. And my old joke is, you laugh whether you think it's funny or not. You've heard it a hundred times but I got it down to where I could handle it. And then uh, things have been better since that next, that next Sunday. My text that first Sunday morning was Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22. I had never preached a sermon before, but I knew that I could with God's help. I had been attended, I had uh, studied at two Bible colleges I've been raised in a very godly home and wonderful churches. My dad was a model for me, as, and I had had the privilege through what I had previously been doing to come into contact with some of the great preachers of the country at that point in time. And I studied them, and I knew that the Lord wanted me to come back to this part of the country. I had spent my boyhood in Sumter, and I knew that I wanted to establish a church like the churches I had been exposed to in Texas and in Indiana where I'd lived for the past few years. And so I preached that day from the text, what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? One of the best texts in the Bible. I had a little help from some sermon outlines my previous pastor had loaned to me or given to me, and I stood up that day in front of 18 and I preached that message. It was a simple, I promise you, non-eloquent 
message, but it was Bible-centered, and it was Christ-focused. It was evangelistic. When I got through, I gave an invitation, and nobody came. And I admit that I was a little disappointed because I've never preached but what I expected somebody to come. But I knew that uh, the preacher would probably improve with some experience, and hopefully the crowd would improve with a little time. And so we kept on. Now today, we're at mile marker 48. We've traveled a long ways down that highway, haven't we? And this church has had, according to 52 weeks a year calculation, we're now in our 7,489th service that we've had since that day. And 11 building programs later, and lots of different experiences that we've shared together, God has brought, God has brought us to mile marker 48. We still have the same vision we had then. It was based upon Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, the Great Commission, we call it, where he said, go into all the world. That's a pretty big vision, isn't it? All the world. And then he said, but not just the world. Think about people and individuals. So it's all the world and it's every creature. All the world and every creature. Our mission hasn't changed. The mission is Go and make disciples of all nations. And so we haven't varied away from that. Our message is still the same. The message is Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the sacrificial atonement payment for our sins, and for the sins of the whole world. He died for my sin, our sin, your sin, but we must not forget he died for the sins of the entire world as well. He died for every single person who ever lived. One of the greatest joys of my life was the discovery of that verse, 1 John 2 and 2. And it told me that Jesus Christ had paid the sin bill for every single human being. If you're here today and you are alive and you are, Jesus Christ paid for your sins. He paid for every one of your sins. He paid for the first sin you ever committed, and he paid for the last sin that you will ever commit because the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, and he is the payment, the propitiation, not only for my sin, but the sins of the whole world. That includes you too, doesn't it? And so what a wonderful, wonderful message that we have. We call that message of course, the gospel. And through the years, our model for our ministry has not been some church that's doing well somewhere that we read about in a book or in a professor's church growth uh, course somewhere. But the model for our ministry has been to go back 2,000 years and to model our church after the church that we read about on the pages of the book of Acts. And so we refer to ourselves often as an Acts church or an Acts 2 church. And we believe that the local church is the means that God wants to use to evangelize the world. There are other good organizations. There are other people that contribute. But 
the Lord put his emphasis upon the only institution, the only Christian institution that even existed when he was on the earth, and that is his local churches. And so we are the institution, we believe, primarily responsible for getting out the news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't seek as a church to be up to date on everything. We are far from trendy. We don't advocate trendiness. If you want trendy, go to the mall. We are into truth, not trendy. We are into trying to model our church like the church that we find on the pages of the Bible. We're not old-fashioned like as in 48 years ago when we started out, but we're old-fashioned as in 2,000 years ago, just like it says in the book of Acts. And the timeless truth of God's Word has been what has unified us as a church. I've tried to build the church around the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God because I know that is unchanging truth that people can rely upon and depend upon. And so we don't seek to be necessarily performance-oriented, though we want you to enjoy it when you come here. But in a time like we live in today of constant sweeping change, every day you look around, watch the television, read the internet, and you know that everything seems to be in a state of flux and change sweeping over every single part of our lives, I think that people are beginning to yearn today to connect with something that is unchanging, something that is real, something that is truly authentic, not authenticity that we try to make up, but we just are what we are in the name of Christ. I think that people are beginning again to sense that we are so far off the path as a nation and in so many cases our institutions that people are yearning again for God's truth. They're, they, they want something stable in their lives because everything else seems to be in a state of flux. And so we've been on this journey now for 48 years and we're committed to continuing it. And in the book of John, chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ told us some things that I think are worth sharing with you today that sort of describe the journey that we've been on and the journey that we hope that we can continue on, and it deals with the harvest. It deals with the cause of Jesus Christ. Because in Acts chapter 4, Jesus described his cause... And it is a cause. Christianity is the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus described his cause as a great harvest. He uses this metaphor, this descriptive terminology, as though the world were a great harvest field and there's a crop growing. And the crop, of course, is the crop of humanity. It's the crop of individual people that inhabits the planet. And in, beginning in verse number 34, I read to you from God's Word, John, 5, or John chapter 4 and verse 34. Jesus said to them, my meat, and he means food, that which nourishes me, that which sustains me. He actually means my purpose, my cause in this world is to do the will of him that sent me, that would be his Father, Almighty God. My 
purpose is to do His will and to finish His work, to finish the work. Now, you know what? You and I can't say that we finished the work after 48 years. In fact, I submit to you, we never will be able to say that we have finished the work unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes. The work is in progress. We've traveled down the interstate from mile marker 1 to mile marker 48, but we're not finished yet today, folks. And we stop here today, and we take a little breath, and we celebrate what God has done, and we talk about what He's doing in our midst, but I want you to understand we are not through with the task. The task still remains. Only Jesus Christ, the only man in history who could ever drop his head at the moment of death and say, I have finished everything that God wanted me to finish. And so in verse number 35, he tells us some attitudes that we can have as we continue on our journey. In verse 35, he said, don't say there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. And so he says, I want you to be urgent about this cause that I have called you to. I want you to have a spirit of urgency. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't say, I'm going to serve the Lord someday when circumstances will be better and things will be easier. No, he said, don't wait. Don't say four more months and then I'm going to start. He said, do it right now. For the, uh, don't, don't procrastinate in what you, uh, what you do. In verse number 35, he then tells us to have an attitude of vision. He says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Look on the field. That means to look outward and not inward. Look outside the walls of the church. For heaven's sakes, don't look at one another. If you look at all the Christians around you, you'll quit. They will discourage you right out of the game. I promise you, the harvest will just be of, uh, uh, it will not be important to you if you get your eyes on other people. As, as so many have done, we've, we, we've seen people through the years, and we've lost them because they had their eyes on other people instead of on the task, the project, the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said this to the disciples, lift up your eyes, because I think he felt that they needed some fresh eyes. You know, they'd spent their life in that area, and as they had walked around every fall, they could see the harvest. But you know, things get so familiar to us. Please listen to me on this, on the 48th anniversary. Things get so familiar that we take them for granted. You can just sit here today and say, well, another anniversary day at the Baptist temple, another Sunday. Boy, great music. Old Chris sung the hair off of that song today, didn't he? And that was a wonderful time. We heard about it, and the preacher got up there, and he preached his message, and we heard the Word of God, and we have a beautiful, clean, wonderful facility, and I saw some of my friends. And after a while, we don't even see the harvest field. Ladies and gentlemen, our Lord said, lift up your eyes and look. Don't start looking at each other or you will be disappointed in, in each other. You look. And the tendency, by the way, for a church, the tendency of a 48-year-old church is to start turning inward and to look at each other 
and to be concerned about our own needs rather than the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. As churches get older and as people get older, the tendency is to turn inward and only care about one another. Let me tell you something. I've learned in 48 years of pastoring a church, the deadest churches on this planet take wonderful care of their own church members. I was somewhere the other day, and somebody said to me, Brother Bill, boy, I wish you could come to our church. Our little church, everybody is so close, and man, when anybody has a problem, we take care of each other. And they went on and on and on and on, and I didn't say anything. I didn't want to be impolite. But the truth is, I know the history of that church, and you're right. They take care of each other, but they haven't seen the water rippled in their baptistry in probably a year now. They have forgotten about the harvest field. They've turned in to take care of each other, but they've forgotten that there's a world out there on a Christless journey to eternity. And then Jesus said something else in verse 35. He talked about opportunity. He said, the fields are white. And the fields, ladies and gentlemen, are still white today. White means ripe. White White means there is opportunity for us, that there's always people who will respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear people say sometimes who are busy with me in the harvest here, and you go out on visitation and they'll come back and they won't find anybody home and they will call somebody and people won't answer and they'll knock on the door and people won't come to the door and people are so unresponsive and it's more and more like that, very frankly, today in our culture. People just shut you out. They don't want, uh, they don't want to be bothered. They're so busy with other things. And, and people will come in and they'll say to me, well, pastor, I just don't know if we can find anybody that needs to be saved anymore. I'll tell you, it's just, it's just hard to find people. Well, I want you to know that our Lord Jesus Christ said there is always going to be a harvest. There's always going to be people who are ripe for salvation. And we go and we try and we fail and we try and we fail and we try and we fail. But then one day we find that person and they're open to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we rejoice in seeing them come to him. You see, there are always influences that are going on in the hearts of people. There are always influences that you and I don't know anything about. And so many times I've stood here and I've preached and I would see somebody in our congregation. I had no idea what was happening in their life. I had no idea that God might be working in them. They sure didn't communicate in any way that I could recognize. And, and uh, the providences of God are stirring in the lives and in the hearts and the homes of people when we're not even able to see that. The feel may seem hard but what we don't know is what's going on in the hearts of people, what's going on in the minds of people, what's going on inside that house, what's going on inside of that life that we're, trying, that we're concerned about. And so Jesus said, don't give up. The fields are always white. There's always opportunity for us to reach people for the Lord Jesus. And then look at verse 36. He spoke of the importance of the task. You know, the work of Christ is the only thing, the only task on this earth that is of eternal importance. It's of eternal importance. When we're doing the Lord's work, we're doing something that lasts clear into eternity. 
He speaks of wages and talks about rewards in heaven there in verse number 36. He says that there will be joy uh, as we work in his harvest. And I and many of you have experienced the joy of leading people to Christ. I've told you many times through the years, the single greatest reward and joy that I ever have in this life is to sit down and take the gospel and lead some precious lost soul to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My, what a joy it is. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven for those of you who have been able to share the gospel and lead people to Christ in your lifetime? Can you imagine one day in heaven, out in an eternity future, as somebody will come up and they might pull, touch you on the arm or speak to you, and they'll just say to you, I want to thank you. Humanly speaking, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here today. I'm here in heaven sharing an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ because you cared enough to hand me a track. You cared enough to invite me to church. You cared enough that you shared the gospel with me or gave me a book or sent me a CD. But you cared for my soul. You prayed for me down there. And I'm here in eternity, enjoying eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ because you cared for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a joy. What a joy. A man told me this week. He said, I was there a few weeks ago, and I'd been sort of a nominal, cold, uncommitted Christian church member for years here. And then he said, you preached a message one Sunday morning a few weeks ago, and you ended the message quoting an old hymn, Must I Go Empty-Handed? Such to meet my dear Redeemer so. Not one soul with which to greet him must I empty-handed go. And you know, that's a, that's, that's a horrible thing to contemplate. Jesus Christ died on the cross, spread his arms, poured out his blood, suffered like no one has ever suffered for my sin and your sin, the sins of the world, and that we would have this knowledge and we would not share it with people and urge them and talk to them and pray to them as if he as if we were willing to let the Lord Jesus Christ die for the sins of the world and us claim our salvation and forget about everybody else. If a doctor had a cure for cancer and he didn't tell the world, what kind of a man is that? And if a Christian has the gospel and opportunity... What is it that we don't care for the souls of man? And so Jesus said, this is important work. It has eternal value. In verse number 37, he goes on to another subject. He says, and in this harvest that we're carrying on, there's got to be teamwork. One sows, another reaps, and we all rejoice together. Paul said that, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, he said, I have planted, I put the seed in the ground. My colleague 
Apollos came along. He watered that seed. And then the crop came up, and God gave us a great inheritance, a great harvest. One sows, another reaps. And Apollos and I, we could throw our arms around each other and rejoice together because we work together as a team. And boy, that's been so true here in our church. Across this audience this morning, some of you left the preschool building, and some people are even down there right now as we celebrate in our anniversary service. And they're keeping our little children, and they're teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And other people are operating the sound so people can hear, and some the television ministry so that literally now tens of thousands of people scattered across North and South Carolina and literally across the world now are hearing this message and observing this church service, worshiping the Lord with us because people dedicate their time through the sound and the television ministry. And some of our people sing and they play instruments to the glory of God. You see, it's a team effort. Some of us work in the hospitality area, and we greet the people as they come up. I made a visit the other day, and somebody said, boy, I was so impressed. I stepped out of my car, walked over to a little tent, and somebody smiled and greeted me and handed me literature and thanked me for coming. I've never been to a church where I had that kind of greeting from somebody before I even got into the building, and they were so complimentary of what those people were doing out there. Other people teach in our school. Some work in our sports ministry. There are men out there walking right now, keeping us secure as a congregation so that you can come and worship the Lord and not have to worry about even your physical well-being. So it's a teamwork. One sows, another reaps. We don't all do the same thing, but it's God's work. All of us have a part, and nobody does all of it. You've heard from our staff, and they've told you what they supervise and what they lead in. Here's the principle. Without the sower, there would be no reapers. And without the reapers, the harvest would rot in the field. So it takes all of us. It takes all the different gifts. It takes all the people of every age, of every description, for us to be able to bring in the harvest that our Lord talked, that he described here in John chapter number four. Now, listen to me. I've tried to describe the harvest in words of action, words that motivate us and stir us to keep on going, that we don't say, man, our church has been going for almost 50 years. Wow, I'm a little tired. I'll just take a little break, and I'll just back off a little bit. No, 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 no. Listen, the task is still unfinished, and there are more people right now that need the Florence Baptist Temple than lived in this area when the church had its first service 48 years ago. How much seed can we sow now in the future? How many people can we enlist and train and mobilize and uh, see serve in the Lord's harvest field? I came up with this little idea here of this Andrew's Army thing. I'm so very thrilled about it. Because as I told you, the statistics say that only about three people out of a hundred ever get involved in witnessing for Christ. And I certainly am not saying this to brag on me. I'm saying it to brag on you. But when I look at that wall down there 
There are 501 signed cards on it today of where people have committed. Is everybody as committed as they ought to be filled out a card? I don't know. I'm not their judge. I do know this, that until you can get a little bit of a commitment out of people and get them leaning the right way and get them thinking about, I want to do that, it's never going to happen. And so my goal has been to get people to just take that first step down the road of working in the harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are very, very trained and experienced people in in reaping the harvest. Others of you are brand new and scared to death. You've never even witnessed yet, but you know in your heart it's the right thing to do. And you don't want to stand at the throne of God empty-handed. Lord, no, I never shared the gospel with people. No, I wasn't involved in the harvest cause. And so we have over 500, and after today we'll have even more because some of you still have not had the opportunity to get your card in. And I'm going to stay in touch with you people in Andrew's Army. I'm creating a special mailing list for that. By the way, you folks who are watching on television today, I've had viewers writing in and say, can I be a part of Andrew's army? I've heard the messages, and uh, if you want to be a part of it, we'd like to invite you to be a part of it too because, you see, our vision is not just for the church. Our vision, listen, 900,000 people live in the PD area of South Carolina. We have a school that can reach out there. Well, you heard about the sports ministry. 70% of the people in the sports ministry don't go to church here. And a church member said to me, that's awful. I said, no, that's wonderful. I don't care if a single church member is involved in it. Because the purpose of it is not to play ball. It's to touch people with the gospel of Christ. And thrills my soul. I was out there yesterday seeing all the people that we have the opportunity to minister, to teach those little kids in the practice sessions and to work with them and expose them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In so many cases, how, where are they going to get it if they don't get it here? Because they don't have anything else in their life to help them with it. And so I'll, I want you to become engaged with me. We're 48 years old, but the task is not finished. There is so much to do. The harvest is ripe. It's white, and the laborers are few. And the world is on fire this morning. The New York Times this week said, in America right now, in our culture, there is chaos just beneath the surface. That's a quote from the New York Times. There is chaos just beneath the surface. The Scripture said that. There's not hope, ladies and gentlemen, in the world's programs. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It ain't going to get better, and the world has no solution to changing it. The hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He can do for people. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And listen, folks, where there is grace, there is hope. Where there is grace, there is hope. And so today, we stand at mile marker 48, but we still have grace. We still have hope.
we still have our Lord's command, let's do it. Let's don't say we're finished and we quit. And our church has had a wonderful run. No, sir. Let's dig in and let's keep in the harvest until the Lord Jesus Christ takes us home. Those of you who have been here for a long time can identify with this, and some of you who are new can. It's a little poem that years ago I discovered, and I've used it many times, and it kind of summarizes my hopes and thoughts this morning. I've dreamed many dreams that never came true, and I've seen them vanish at dawn. But I've realized enough of my dreams, thank God, to make me want to dream on. I've prayed many prayers when no answer came, though I've waited patient and long. But answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me keep praying on. I've trusted many a friend that failed, and they left me to weep alone. But I've found enough of my friend's true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've sown many a seed that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon, but I've held enough golden sheaves in my hands to make me keep sowing on. And I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain, and I've gone many days without song, but I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life that it makes me want to live on. We have hope. We have a great harvest. Let's stay committed to it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And if you would stand quietly and reverently to your feet, please.